I, I could watch that all day. That, that stuff's fun. All those memories of the different things we've done in our community and together with each other. And uh, it just, uh, this just means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to, uh, to many of you. And, and if you're new and you're kind of on the outside looking in, going, what, is, you know, what was all that? And um, man, you get a little closer, because there's a lot of cool things that God does through this church family, and it's just it's very special to me. Um, so we're, we're actually gonna talk over the next few weeks about uh, what it means to be a part of a church family. And we acknowledge that anybody who's a follower of Jesus is a part of the church. You're part of the people of God. But the way that God sort of set this up to work is that each local community has an expression of the body of Christ in your community. And Cicero Christian Church is, is just one expression of the body of Christ here in Northern Hamilton County. There are a lot of local churches in this area and we are brothers and sisters with them and partner with them in different things. But what does it mean to be a part of a local like, expression of the body of Christ? Um, so we're gonna talk about that over the next few weeks and invite you to be all in with Cicero Christian Church and try to clarify what, what that means and, and what that looks like. Um, when, when I think about being all in, I, I had a, uh, an experience this week that made me think about it. I got a, a letter from my alma mater, Johnson University down in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, is where I did my undergrad. And um, they, sent, they send me letters all the time. And it's not like, hey, Adam, how's it going? Uh, I've been thinking about you. It's like, uh, could you send some money for this building project that we're doing? And I've never actually sent them any money and I actually don't even respond to any of their letters. It's not that I don't, I don't like the school, I do. It's just, um, I already gave them a bunch of money <laughs> and I don't wanna give them any more. Um, but so they sent me a survey this time that, that was uh, kind of asking questions about my commitment level to the school. And so I thought, well, I'll fill out the survey. Um, usually they put, when they're asking for money, they put stamps on it for you. They didn't put a stamp on this one. I didn't put my own stamp on it. So it did cost me a little bit. But I filled out the survey and they were asking questions like, do you support Johnson University? Do you believe in what we're doing? Do you give financially to the university? And I said, no, I don't give financially. And they wanted to know why, so I told them why. You know, there are just other things that, that are more important to my family that we give to. But then they asked if we believe in the mission of Johnson University, uh, which is to develop uh, young people who can go into the world in a variety of career paths and, and take the gospel with them wherever they go. And I said, absolutely, I'm, I'm on board with that. I'm, I'm, I'm all in with the mission, but, but I'm clearly not all in with uh, the university because I don't give them any of my money. So there's, there's, a, there's a point at which my, my all-in-ness stops, right? Uh, I'll go so far, and, and I, this is how far I'm comfortable going, and I, I don't go any farther. It's like um, when you're getting into a swimming pool and the water's cold, and, and some of you are like, we're gonna ease into this. We're, just, we're gonna take our time and we're gonna ease into this. And then some people are, are like, uh, they the just jump in from the deep end and you, and you just go all in all at once. I'm an ease in kind of person. And most of the time what I do is I, I go in just far enough, which is usually about right here, uh, to where I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm like, okay, I can handle this. And I just don't go any farther. And I'm perfectly content just to stand in the pool with the water up to my uh, thighs and, and just stop right there. Right? So that's kind of how I am with my university, Johnson University. I've, I've gone in this far in, but it, and it hasn't cost me anything yet, and so I'm not going any farther, right? What does it mean to be all in with a church family? What does it mean to be all in uh, with a local body that's expressing the kingdom of God here in this community? Well, the first thing that it means is that we are, first of all, all in with Jesus. That if you're going to be uh, a part of the church family, um, you, you gotta be all in with Jesus first. The way that Paul talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians, he, he says the, 
the, the church is like, like a body and every member is a, is a part of the body and, and is important and has a function, but the head of the body is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. And so you, you can't really be a part of the body unless you acknowledge Jesus as the Lord, the Savior, the one who's in charge of all of this, the one that we submit to in everything. So first of all, a, a, a part of the body is someone who is a disciple of Jesus and is devoted to moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living. We like to talk about direction versus perfection here, because sometimes you say disciple of Jesus all in. Oh, does that mean I never sin? Okay, well then I'm out because I do sin. No, we're talking about direction versus perfection. Like we're moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living. And when Paul was describing this to the church in Rome, there were several different house churches in, in Rome that uh, were having tr- trouble with unity and what does it look like to live as local expressions of the body of Christ in our culture, in our community. And uh, Paul wrote to them this, this book called Romans. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 12. And we're gonna, uh, we're gonna be in Romans 12 for this whole series. So if you wanna jump ahead, read Romans 12, read it a few times a week, uh, and you'll be right along with us uh, through the rest of, of this month. But here's what he says in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, I appeal to you. In other words, Paul is actually, the, the, the sense is that he's begging these people. He's like, okay, guys, ch- church in Rome, I am begging you, I am begging you to do this thing. Would you please present your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifice is not comfortable, right? It's not a comfortable word. When we think of making a sacrifice, what are, what are the things you make a sacrifice for? If you've ever played, um, not just any sport, I played tennis, not a lot of sacrifice there. Sorry guys, love you, but it's an easy sport. Um, if you've ever played football, football is a sacrifice, right? It costs, like, you're out there in the heat in pads and you're, like, people can hurt you and people do get hurt. Like, there's a sacrifice there, but you do it for a reason and there's some reason that you're motivated and you're inspired to, to make that sacrifice. What have you done in your life that, that's required sacrifice? I think, I think we can't really know if we're all in with Jesus until it costs us something. It's easy to say that yeah, I, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But how do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I don't know that we can know unless it costs us something. What, is it, what does it cost you? So what Paul is talking about here is, is being a living sacrifice, that, that every day we, we come to Jesus and we lay everything that we are on an altar. The altar is where things go to die, Right? So, so we, we come, we bring, our, we bring our career and we lay it on altar. We say, this is yours. If you want, if you want to take it, you can have it. We, we bring our finances and we lay it on an altar and we say, this is yours. If you want to take it, you can have it. We bring our self-image, our public image, and we, we lay it on an altar and we say, Jesus, this is yours. If you want to take it, you can have it. And, and we bring our relationships, even, even the people that we love, and, and that we, we, would, we would bleed for. And we lay those relationships on the altar and we say, this is yours. If you want to take it, you can have it. Where, where did Paul get this idea? 
that, that we, we have to do, we should do this every day. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the context of being a part of a church family. Where did he get this idea? Well, he, he got it from Jesus. Paul didn't make stuff up. I mean, he got it. Everything he, he's taught was from the teachings of Jesus. And if you think the way Paul said it was harsh, wait to hear how Jesus said it. Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let me, let me pause there because at this point, most people are checking out. You're like, uh, not sure where he's going with this, but I don't, I don't think I want to hear it anymore. I'm out. Some of you are like, well, he didn't say grandchildren, so I'm still in. But the rest of you are like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like, if, if, this is, if this is what he means, like, I have, to, I have to hate my family, then I'm out. And I wonder if when Jesus originally said this, like, he got to this point and some people just turned around and walked away. What does he mean? Well, well let's, let's finish out the passage. Hang with me. Okay, none of you made a run for the door, so you're giving me a chance. I'll, I won't blow it, I promise. Okay, um, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, can you see where Paul gets the idea? I beg you, I plead with you, church of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can you see where he gets that? He's softening it a little bit from the way Jesus said it, isn't he? What does Jesus mean when he says, well, we're, we're, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with the hate thing, right? Hating the family thing. We got to deal with this. Uh, otherwise, you guys won't hear anything else. Does Jesus mean we should hate our family? So the way we think about love and hate is we think in terms of emotion, how we feel about people. And so we, when I, when I, if I love you, then, then when I'm with you and when I think about you, I, I, I feel warm and fuzzy in the, on the inside and I, I, I want to do you know, what's good for you. I want good things to happen in your life. And, and it's a lot about how we feel, right? And so when we think about hate, we think in similar terms. It's about how we feel. Like, I, I don't want to be around you. I, I, don't, I don't want good things to happen to you. Maybe I want bad things to happen to you, you know, because I see you as an enemy as, as opposed to me. When Jesus is talking about love and hate, he's not talking about emotion. Jesus does not want us to hate like in the sense of we think bad things or we don't want to be around or we wish evil upon our families. How do we know that? Because he taught in several other places in his teaching that we should honor our families. I mean, Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments. What's commandment number five? Honor your father and mother. And Jesus reinforces that commandment in his teaching. And he says, honor your father and mother. In fact, he picked on the Pharisees. Mark chapter seven. Yep, Mark chapter seven. You can look that one up. Uh, Jesus 
uh, really goes after the Pharisees because they had like found this loophole where people could hold on to some retirement money instead of giving it to their parents like they were supposed to. And he's like, you got to knock that off. You're supposed to honor your parents. So Jesus wanted people to act with love towards their families. So he's talking about action versus emotion. How do you treat people? Jesus wanted, he said, you should treat the people around you with love. In fact, he commanded his disciples, love one another, love everyone the way that I have loved you. So obviously, Jesus is not saying that I want you to think bad thoughts or not want to be around or be opposed to or wish bad things upon your family. Jesus is speaking to a culture that is collective-minded. They are Uh, They are family first, tribe first, clan first, us against the world kind of mentality. Uh, America is not a uh, collective-minded society. We are in an individual-minded society. In in our culture, the highest value is the individual. It's it's you, you be you however you want to be you, and you can express that however you want to in the world. And, and the job of society is to give you the freedom and right to be you. It's a very individualistic-minded society. But the, the eastern part of our world, even today, but especially in the ancient Near East, was a collective-minded society. And in that society, the highest value is the family, the tribe, the clan. Whatever's best for the family, that's what you do. Whatever's best for the tribe, that's what you do. Whatever honors and respects the collective is your responsibility, and it really doesn't matter what you think or feel as an individual. This is where the idea of arranged marriages come from. How many, how many of you get excited about arranged marriages? And, and for, from our perspective, that is like crazy. Like, who would do that? Only in a collective-minded culture would you do that. Would you say, I will set aside my individual wants and desires for the sake of what's best for the family? So, this is not a right or wrong thing. It's not like individualism is bad or, or collectivism is bad and individualism is good. This is, just, this is just a thing. This is just how things are. So Jesus is speaking to a collective-minded culture in which if someone said, I want to follow Jesus, as he is inviting everyone to at this point in his ministry, he's like, come and follow me. And if someone says, I want to follow Jesus, but the family says, we don't think that's a good idea. Jesus says, in this case, You've got to go away from your family. You've got to separate from your family. You've got to say what your family is telling you to do is not what's best. And you've got to do what Jesus has called you to do instead. He said, in that context, that's going to look like hate to your family. They're going to read that as you are disrespecting the family. You're dishonoring the family. We don't know anything about this Jesus guy. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know where he's going to lead you if you go and follow him. This was, this was the case for a lot of families at the time. This is the case for a lot of families still in the world today in places like India and China where people say, I want to follow Jesus and their family says, no way. You can't do that. That's disrespectful to the family. That's dishonoring the family. And in this case, Jesus says, you've got to choose me over your family. And that's going to look like hate to them. But that's the only way you can be my disciple. Because see, Jesus, he's... he's commanded the center spot in our lives. And when he says, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple, I think we get the sense that Jesus is kind of like standing with his hand up at the gate going, you know, I'm going to ask some questions. Have you rejected your family completely? Because if you haven't rejected your family, you can't get in. I don't think that's the sense in which Jesus is saying this. I think he's saying that if there's anything else 
that's at the center of your life, you won't be able to follow me because to follow me is to put me at the center. If there's anything else that's at the center of your heart, anything else that your world revolves around that's not Jesus, you will be unable, and in that sense, you cannot follow Jesus if there's something else at the center. That makes logical sense when you think about it that way. But we still look at this and we kind of go, all right, so how do, we, how do we do what's best for, how do we love our families well without putting them at the center? I think many of us, uh, we, we either grew up in a culture where the, the, the child was, was at the center. Maybe that was, that was how you were treated. Maybe that's how you have parented and the child is the center of the home and the center of the family and, and everything revolves around the child. Or maybe you're in a relationship where everything revolves around your spouse or you're dating and it's your boyfriend or girlfriend and everything revolves around them. And, and, and there's a part of that that feels right. Like it's honoring to them to, to put them at the center and to do, and, and it, my whole life is to please them and to make their life better and show them that I love them. So how is it wrong to take them out of that center spot and put Jesus there? Why, why would we do that? I, I'm convinced that the greatest gift you can give the people that you love is to put Jesus at the center of your life. If you want what's best for your kids, live with Jesus at the center. If you want what's best for your marriage, for your dating relationship, for your parents, for your grandchildren, put Jesus at the center. Why? Because Jesus can give you something that no one else can. Jesus has promised you peace. The kind of peace that doesn't really make sense in the world, the kind of peace that when you're in the middle of turmoil and persecution and all kinds of bad things are happening, you can be at peace because you trust that God is in control, that he is good and that he loves you. Where does that come from? That comes from Jesus at the center. What an incredible gift to your family to be a person who is at peace in the midst of pain. Jesus promises joy. I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. He promises that if you put him at the center, you will have joy in life that won't be determined by your financial status or your self-image. What an incredible gift to your family to be a person of joy even when the world seems to be against you, even when you're, you're being ridiculed publicly or you've lost respect for some reason or things aren't going well, but you're a person of joy, what an incredible gift. And Jesus calls us to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. What an incredible gift to your family to live with a purpose that incorporates God's love for the entire world and the way we think about what's going on around us and in our nation and across the globe, what a gift to give our families. The greatest gift you can give your family is to put Jesus at the center. He wants us to love everyone around us, but he knows that our capacity to do that comes from him. He says it differently in Matthew chapter 10, Verse 37, he says it this way, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is, this is not just Jesus going on an ego trip, okay? And saying, I'm the greatest. Even though 
He is the greatest, in case you're wondering. He is the greatest. And what he's done for you is greater than anything anyone has ever done for you. But that's not what he's doing here. He's saying, if, if anyone else has that center spot of control in your life, you are sacrificing some things that you cannot get any other way. This is what he's called us to. And this is really what's best for the people around us. But it is a risk and it is costly. That's why he goes through this explanation of counting the cost and saying, if you're gonna build a tower, you better make sure you have enough to finish it. And if you're gonna go to battle, you better make sure you can win because there is a cost here. But there's also a reward. The peace and joy and purpose that he promises. In fact, uh, there's at least 26 times in the New Testament in which the, the freedom and life that, that God has, has offered to us is directly tied to our self-denial and sacrifice. I love the way Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm, I've been crucified. Crucifixion is death. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live now in the flesh, I live to the glory of God in, in Jesus Christ. Paul is not like bummed about being crucified in Christ. He's like excited about being crucified in Christ because with Jesus at the center, he knows there's a life available to him that would not be available any other way. There is a cost and there is a reward and you only find out if it's worth the cost if you're willing to make the sacrifice. G.K. Chesterton was a uh, Christian writer who wrote, you know, almost 100 years ago, uh, he kind of sounds like a prophet sometimes because he really had a good sense of what was coming um, down the road. And here, here's one of the things that he said that I've hung on to. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It really resonates with me because I, I, I see this in my own life and in the lives of people around me that we kind of get to different places in our faith where we think, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right here. And to go a little further, that would be really hard and I don't think it's even gonna work. So no thanks. Uh, it's, it's not gonna work for me. I'm this kind of Christian. I'm the, I'm the kind of come to church every now and then kind of Christian. I, I'm the kind of, you know, pray when just when bad things happen kind of Christian. And I'm kind of comfortable here. And, and Chesterton is saying like, what, what you're missing out on is actually putting your trust in Jesus and seeing what happens. What if, what if you actually gave him the center spot in your life? What if you actually turned over all the control that you're trying to hold on to about everything in your world and you're trying to keep everything balanced and juggle everything and control how things turn out and control which direction your kids are going for real life for me right now and you're trying, you're trying to control all these things. What if you just let go of that and you, you just let Jesus have control? Just try it. It's most of us don't have the courage to actually try it to see if it would work. We just kind of stand back from the outside and say, no, I don't, I don't think that's for me. See, I think, I think we need to adopt some new language. I think uh, the way a lot of us talk, the way I was kind of uh, taught to talk is, um, you, sh you should make God a big part of your life, or I want God to be a big part of my life. Like our, like our life is divided it up like a pizza pie and, 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 and we get to decide how many slices go to different things and well, God's gonna get a big slice. I mean, he's gonna get a big slice. But also my job gets a big slice and my kids get a big slice and my hobbies get a big slice. My weekends get a big slice, right? Here's the problem with that language. God, God never asked for a slice. 
He wants to be the sinner. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. That's not what being crucified with Christ means. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be the whole thing. He wants to be right at the center so that everything else in your life flows out of that relationship with God. So who you are as a husband or a wife, who you are as a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather, who you are as a employee or a business owner, who you are in all of those different aspects flows out of your relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want to be a part. I, th- I think we need to change our language. If you're uncomfortable with that language, if you're like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really want him to, to flow into everything. Well, then this is where Jesus would say, like, okay, that's a choice you can make. But if that's your choice, you can't really be my disciple. Like, you can't have it both ways. Either I'm at the center or I'm not. And, and it's a choice. You're invited. You're invited in. But if you say yes, we need to understand what that means. We need to count the costs and understand what it means. And we need to understand that it's really what's best for everyone. I want to kind of wrap up with with this uh, quote from uh, this guy named Jeff Robinson is a a preacher and and teacher. And uh, it's just a line that that really caught my attention. He said, there will be rivals warring for supremacy over the throne of our hearts but our love for King Jesus must defeat everyone. There will be rivals warring for supremacy over the throne of our hearts, but our love for King Jesus must defeat everyone. And sometimes the rivals don't feel like rivals. Sometimes the rivals aren't evil things. It's not sin that's always the rival. Sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes there's, there's addictions or there's, there's just uh, selfish habits and patterns that, that are battling for the throne of your heart, but sometimes it's good things. It's, it's like people. It's like, it's like your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or, or your job, which, which is a good thing where you get to bring good into the world. And those things are battling for the, the center place, the throne of your heart. But they don't deserve that spot. As, as awesome as your husband or wife is, as awesome as your kids are, as awesome as your grandkids are, they don't deserve the center spot in your life because they didn't die for you. Only one person did. Kids, as awesome as your parents are, the best gift you can give your parents is to put Jesus at the center of your life. Can I get an amen from any parents? Okay, thank you. Shouldn't I have to kick you a little bit? <laughs> that's how I feel. The greatest gift my kids could give me is to put Jesus right at the center. That's, that's when I know that, that when I, I have to let go of them, right? Uh, so a friend of mine in, in my microchurch taught me this uh, recently. I, they're not, my kids are not mine. I, I, I have responsibility for them, but they're God's. They have been since the day they were born. Why am I, why am I so much trying to control everything instead of trusting that, that God loves them even more than I do? And my opportunities to guide, I've got to be really responsible for that, but they're not mine. I don't own them. They're, they're his. And letting go of that, that's it's hard. It's painful. But it's absolutely what's best. And I can only do that if Jesus is at the center of my life. So I just want to ask you, what's, what's warring for supremacy over the throne of your heart? 
I, I want to share with you a, a video of a young man who was baptized in our church um, around Easter time and was uh, kind enough to share with us uh, sort of his process and his journey. So I just uh, check out Joseph's story. Hi, my name is Joseph. Uh, I have been here at CCC ever since I was a baby. Um, I have a mother and a father with three siblings. Uh, what has God done in my life? Um, for me, ever since I was a kid, I've always challenged the idea of God. It, it didn't really make much sense to me. And naturally, I wanted to be in control of my own life. Uh, I wasn't too sure what it meant uh, to be a Christian. And as I grew older, um, I was always very curious with God and eventually I started trying to see things through Jesus' eyes, like do things that he would do. You know, I always thought, what would Jesus do in this situation? And with that perspective, I was able to actually overcome a lot of problems and I, it actually turned out to be like the best way to determine situations from my experience. And so that, that made me really curious about what, like, what is Christianity? How do I get closer to God? Um, and eventually that's when I started doing Bible studies with my grandparents and my uh, siblings. And eventually through learning who God is, reading the Bible, um, and just overall trying to understand Him, I decided to, to come to Christ. Transformation in me, I have been a lot more open with my family. Uh, I've let them love me and I've also loved them more. And that has improved my relationship with my sister, my, my, my mother, my parents overall, just because I'm closer with them and having God in their relationship really helps with security and, and loving each other. A big part of why I wanted to get baptized was my friend was getting baptized and I had always been really close with God uh, and I always wanted to be closer with him and trust in him more. And I knew the next step was to get baptized if I wanted to really trust in him and really love in him. And with him getting baptized, that was really what pushed me to be able to take the next step, the leap of faith into God so I can trust him more and love him more. Maybe the most meaningful thing for me about baptism or being baptized was having that trust in God. The Holy Spirit being in me makes me feel more confident in my ability to love and trust in God. And with God having control in all things, I can always lean into him uh, for anything that I need. Uh, and I can also glorify him more saying, I am baptized, I'm going to be in heaven with God and I love him so very much. I would like to thank some people for being a big part of my journey. Uh, first off for me, uh, my grandfather, he was, he, he was actually a leader for the Cicero Christian Church at one point and he is extremely impactful to my life. He has always tried to guide me to the water, doing Bible studies with me and overall trying to answer any questions that I ever have to ask him. I would also like to thank my mother for sparking my initial understanding of God and, and you know, planting that seed. For she, she is the first one who planted the seed for me. And then finally my brother, seeing him go through the transformation of going to Summit, uh, it was really massive for me. He became a lot more vocal, but a lot more loving, and most importantly, he he was a much more closer to God. He was much closer to God, and that, that really impacted me. If I could say one thing to encourage the church, uh, I would say, that if you're thinking about baptism and you're a little afraid, uh, do not do not fear. It is actually a very fun experience. For me, God had always been working me up to get baptized and it took just a tiny little shove for me to do it, just a little bit of a leap of faith. And it really was, isn't as scary as most people might think. It was actually very fun, it was very rewarding. Um, being able to trust in God and, and love God and also being able to be closer with Him is 
one of the best things you, anybody can really experience. Today. Trusting in God will actually be extremely rewarding and He won't fail you. Now check out me getting baptized. I'm not crying, you're crying. I, you might think that I set that up, like I coached him on what to say so it would go along with his sermon. That happened months ago, and I didn't have anything to do with the making of that video, but did you hear the people that impacted uh, Joseph's life? His grandfather, who, if you know Stephen Hancock, right, that man has Jesus at the center of his life, right? And, and because his grandfather has Jesus at the center, he had an impact on his grandson. His mother, because his mother has Jesus at the center, she had an impact on her son because his brother has Jesus at the center. He had an impact on his brother. And the reason why Joseph is a Jesus follower today is because the people who are closest to him live with Jesus at the center of their lives. It's no coincidence. That's just what happens. I think baptism is a beautiful picture of what it means to go all in. It's a very vulnerable thing. If you've been baptized, you know there's this moment where you are not in control and you're kind of under the water and you just trust that the person who is baptizing you is gonna bring you back up. Well, I think it's a beautiful picture of going all in with Jesus. We just trust that he loves us and he knows what's best and he invites us in. So here's the cool thing, and I didn't plan this either, but we're gonna have a baptism here in just a moment. And I'm gonna pray and then uh, we're gonna watch Briley be baptized by her grandfather. And we're gonna celebrate that together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus who deserves the center spot in our life. He's the only one. And we just ask, God, that you would convict us if there's anything battling for the throne of our hearts that our love for Jesus would defeat it. Because we're convinced, God, that when we live with you at the center, we get to be a blessing to the people around us, the people that we love who are close to us and the people in our neighborhoods and the people at our workplaces and the people in our schools. We get to have an impact on them when, when you're right in the center of who we are and what we do. And would you convict us of anything that would get in the way of that? Would you draw us close to you? Would you forgive us of our sins and lead us forward for your glory? and for the benefit of the people we love. In Christ's name, amen.